This is the Neurological Podcast, a podcast that brings you the origins, history, and culture of all things metal. Once again, I am your host, Maledictus, and um, today we're going to do something different. As you see, my co-host and wife, Samantha, is uh, not here today. She's not doing this episode because the subject matter of it, uh, what it involves, is something she did not experience in her life. It really doesn't have any meaning to her. She really can't add to it. So, you know, I was uh, pressed to go on this this historic episode alone, on this quest of history alone. Now, uh, this is going to be a very different episode from our usual review episodes. We usually do reviews of sort of obscure bands from around the world, which is, I think, very useful. Uh, but today we're going to be doing... Um, a piece, a historical piece on not an obscure band at all, probably, in fact, the most famous metal band, one of the most famous rock bands in the world right now, and that, of course, is Metallica. Now, we usually don't do sort of mainstream subjects like this, but we're going to take a little detour this time, something I want to talk about because it means a lot to me. Of course, what we're going to be talking about is the elephant in the room of the metal world right now, which is the 30th anniversary of the Black Album. Do you feel old? Yes, comment down below if you feel really old, because I do. This was 30 years ago, and I'm going to talk about my experience when it came out 30 years ago, what it, how it affected my personal metal development in my metal direction. Now, let's go back to the year 1991. What were you doing in 1991? Were you even alive in 1991? You may have not been if you're, if you're watching this podcast, but, but I was, and maybe some of you out there were. Um, when the Black Album came out, it was released on August 12th, 1991, and uh, this was Metallica's f- fifth full-length album, following the um, infamous Justice For All album, you all remember. Uh, this is arguably the album that you could say secured their permanent position ever since in the mainstream of not only metal, but in rock music in general. I mean, Metallica is probably one of the biggest bands in the world right now, covering, transcending all types of music, really. I mean, Metallica is a band these days that frequently works with pop acts. I mean, that's when you're a legend. That's when you're basically Led Zeppelin, right? I mean, look at all the non-metal bands covering Metallica. Like, Weezer just covered Enter Sandman for their 30th anniversary. I mean, there you go. That's proof right there. The Black Album... uh, when it came out, you know, it, it was a lot of controversy. It, it had, a, it was a dramatic turn from their their usual sound, their their thrashy sound of um, their four previous albums, and um, and on top of that was a more scaled down approach. Um, in contrast to Justice for All, which was almost proggy in a way. I mean, Justice for All had like movements in it. It was probably the most complex album ever. Um, you know, and that was all because of their new producer they had assigned to this album named Bob Rock, who was um, famous for doing bands like The Cult, you know, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, things like that, a very different sound. So he, I think, put Metallica in a direction that really would affect their career forever. He would really open them up to a lot of more commercially viable sounds, and that would really send Metallica on like a rocket ship to superstardom. Um, another thing about one personal observation about the Black Album is, upon, for, upon listening to it, was um, you can hear the bass in it, and uh, and that was a controversy back then that I pointed out as as a musician back then when I was fourteen. 
listening to Justice for All, I was like, hey, you can't hear the bass in this. Is there a bass? And I always wondered, they got, you know, they got this bass player, this new bass player, Jason Newstead, and you can't, you can't hear him. And that meant a lot to me back then. It really kind of, you know, made me think a lot. You know, that's obviously a normal controversy today. It's something people discuss all the time about Metallica, about Justice for All today. But back then, you know, that was a subject matter for me anyway. Maybe a lot of other people weren't talking about it back then, but but I remember clearly. I've been talking about it for thirty years, okay, and beyond that you couldn't hear the bass on Justice for All and on the Black Album suddenly there was a bass and I was like wow that's that's the bass and you know it's it's not bad you know they, they, they really recorded a very you know doing usually doing for the reviews the really specializing in, in the recording methods and quality of these albums we do uh, you know the Black Album was a very uh, consistently recorded album uh, and it had balance between all the instruments and everyone kind of had a Part in there, it wasn't James and Lars kind of competing with each other, having a pissing contest. So, so either one of them could be heard over everyone else. I mean, everyone kind of got a shot. Everyone kind of got writing credits in that album. It was like, hey, we're a band. Everyone should participate in this. So, I think that helped a lot, and that might have been really a result of the production of Bob Rock making them act more like a band than you know a dictatorship with um, Lars and James at, at the helm. So, so how did this album? affect me personally that's what I want to talk about here how this how the Black Album 30 years ago affected me you know and you know comment down below how it affected you in 1991 Metallica was my obsession like I said before um, you know it wasn't Slayer or Celtic Frost or anything like that you know I, I didn't discover those bands yet it was just Metallica and Megadeth pretty much that, that's all I really needed and I wasn't into the other thrash bands I wasn't really into Exodus or Testament you know or Death Angel and, I, and I'd heard these bands and I, I, I'd listened to them on WSOU and WSOU would play a lot of thrash songs because this was really like the last hurrah of thrash in 1991 thrash is really at its heights it was at its most powerful point ever and you know as I like and I've, I've said before it wasn't until the Clash of the Titans concert featuring the big three which was really thrash's last major battle and after that it was kind of downhill for a lot of reasons now Metallica during this time in 1991 this was important to me because it got me through my teenage years you know uh, I started listening to them maybe around maybe 87 88 and um, I was naturally um, terrified of their sound at first it was my brother that introduced them to my older brother who whose friend at school had introduced him to metal he gave him a few metal tapes and Metallica was one of them and and one day we played Justice for All. Um, we put it on our stereo and on came Blackened. And that guitar intro kind of scared the shit out of me. I've never heard anything like that. Um, I was terrified of it. I was terrified of a lot of things as a kid. Going to Catholic school, you know, you were conditioned so that everything that did not sound like unicorns um, and Jesus uh, scared the fucking shit out of you. And that was me. It scared the shit out of me. And somehow it grew on me. Previously, you know, I was scared of it. I was I was raised on a diet of like Motley Crue and Aerosmith before that. You know, I was listening to Permanent Vacation from Aerosmith. I thought that was like hard rock. You know, I thought that was like the edge of rock and roll back then. So, you know, and then suddenly you go from that to, you know, slowly I was getting introduced to Black Sabbath as well, which I also thought was really evil. You know, those those doom sounds. I'd never heard anything like that. You know, of course, everyone's saying at that time Ozzy was a devil worshiper. You know, it didn't help. You know, I was I was afraid of bands being devil worshippers back then. You know, listening to like Judas Priest, you know, hearing Judas Priest back then, I was like, oh, this, you know, 
just might have subliminal messages in it because that's what they said on TV. You know, when you're a Catholic school kid, you believe all this stuff. But eventually, I discovered the other Metallica albums. You know, like, oh, Metallica has three other albums. You know, and I listened to those. And I, I kind of like those. Those hit me a little easier than Justice for All because Justice for All was kind of just... How shall one say, Director? Too many notes, Your Majesty. Exactly. Very well put. Too many notes. Okay. And, and it was very intimidating for me. Um, the songs were long, but you know, listening, I remember listening to Kill It All and I liked that right away. I was like, oh, this is more my speed. This is simple, like rock music. You know, this is simple. I like this, you know, and, and of course, Ride the Lightning was probably my favorite album back then, you know, Fade to Black. What what could be a better, like, emo song for some, some depressed teenager that had no friends? Fade to Black. That's just your anthem back then, isn't it? So, so I thank my brother, my older brother, who introduced me to this, this life. And ironically, today, you know, my brother, being an old man, um, has no recollection of any of this metal that, you know, that he was so passionate about. I mean, I'm telling you, he was passionate about this stuff, like, like you wouldn't believe. And today, like, he, if you would ask him, oh, yeah, remember that Metallica album? He would just be like, huh? Because he's just been so just trodden down by life that, you know, this this stuff, this passion means nothing to him. And it's you know, so obviously with me, I remember all these days clearly. If, if I remember anything from the past, it was my love of of metal back when I was a teenager and how it got me through things. Being the Metallica fan I was and, and listening and being out of Metallica albums to listen to only four of them, you know, which naturally made me turn to Megadeth because they had albums coming out and, and you could also hear the bass on them. So I was like, oh, I like Megadeth too. Like, you know, this is also cool. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't like Metallica's better than Megadeth. You know, I thought they were both good in, in their own ways. Um, so naturally, you know, I was always waiting for this next Metallica album. You know, of course, you know, Justice for All comes out, what, 87, 88? And Black Album comes out in 91. So it's only like, a, it's only like you know, a couple of years. And, you know, and I, we used to think that was so long back. That was an eternity back then. But today, you know, like, what, what Metallica song, what Metallica albums come out, like, what, every, like, five to ten years, if, if at best... I would I would basically like listen to the Metallica albums all the time and the Megadeth albums on my my Sony Walkman. I would ride my bike around the neighborhood and listen to them. You know, like that's that's what I did back then for fun. That's what we did back then. We'd go out and ride our bikes without helmets and practically get killed. But that's what we did. It was fun. So you all remember? Comment down below if you lived in these dangerous times, as they say. One day it was the summer of '91. It was June. It was after school was either ending or it was over. And I was home after school just watching MTV like kids did back then for some reason. And I used to play like normal music on MTV back then. Is there still MTV? I don't, I don't even I don't have I don't have TV. I don't know what goes on on the television. Do they, do they still do MTV? Comment down below. But anyway, it was MTV. It was in the afternoon or something. And I just turned the TV on and, and a video comes on. It's very stroby and it's it's just starting up and it play, you know, it's playing the riff. Um, this this sort of guitar arpeggio riff, and to me, I thought, believe it or not, I thought it was. Um, there was a song I used to listen to WSOU a lot at the time, okay, and this was a time 1991, 1990 was a strange time in metal because there was a lot of grunge music being played. There was a lot of music from Seattle being played. There was a lot of funk metal being played. Um, and it was a band WSO used to rotate heavily, and I really couldn't stand it, but they were called Mind Funk. And they had a song called uh, uh, Welcome to Something. I, I should look it up. Welcome. But it, it sort of started with a similar riff, um, sort of like a guitar sort of arpeggio, like played in just single, clean, non-distorted notes. 
Um, and I thought this was a video for that song, since that song was really popular at the time. I thought, oh, these guys made um, a video for, for that. And, you know, about five seconds into it, ten seconds into it, the little name tag, you know, the little information um, graphic flashes on the bottom of the screen like MTV videos used to do, and there it said, Metallica. I couldn't... It was here. But I hadn't heard. There was no warning that this would happen. It was There was no internet back then where you would hear on, like, the Metallica website, oh, we're dropping this video on this day, will you stay tuned for it? You, know, you just, it was just there. And there was no expectation. I didn't know when this was coming out, and all of a sudden it was there. Imagine the excitement. Like, I, I think I've, in few times in my life, have I experienced excitement like that. Like, I was just in shock. Like, Metallica was back, and they were playing this strange song that sounded nothing like anything on Justice for All. So... And I couldn't even comprehend what was going on. All I was like, there is Metallica in this strobey video directed by Dwayne Isham. Uh, Wayne Isham, sorry. I couldn't comprehend what was going on with the video. It was just... I would just remember not... All I wanted to do was tell my brother that the Metallica video, it's out. They're coming out with a new album. And, you know, obviously we didn't know when it was coming out right away. Like, you know, we had, now, we, now we have to kind of seek out that information, on, you know, from like... The, the you know the magazines or or I think they, they probably even told you on MTV when that was happening I recall and, and anyway we found out the date it was coming out but usually you know when they release a video like that there's a single out too they usually you know, a single tape and of course we got that right away and, and we were listening to that in our car we played it probably like a thousand times um, and the single of course had a flip side of Stone Cold Crazy the um, a cover by Queen uh, which I had heard Metallica made. Uh, I had heard that in the metal press somewhere, and I'd wanted to hear that, and I was really impressed with what they did with that. So we would just listen to that tape over and over again, you know, in my brother's car, you know, until, of course, the album were to drop. Now, it wasn't until August 12th of that year where the album dropped. This was still before, um, this was still the summertime, uh, you know, before I started school. And it was an interesting time because it was a transitionary period in my school career. I had gone from, it was from between eighth grade and, see, and, and freshman year. However, my freshman year was going to be in a new high school in a new town. It wasn't, and it wasn't Catholic school anymore. It was public school. So it was going to be a big change where I didn't know anyone. So it was going to be rough. I was going to need Metallica during these trying times. It was going to be the most important thing for me. The album comes out on that day, on um, August 12th. And uh, we knew it was out. So that morning, my brother had driven, you know, he left me home and he drove to the nearest record store at the Wayne Hills Mall, which is no longer there. I believe it's a, they probably built condos over it, but it was the place where everyone would go back then, you know, if you lived in that area. That's back when there, there were malls, right? And I think it was like a Sam Goody or something where he got it. And he had purchased the CD and the tape and the cassette tape. Uh, why both? You know, because we didn't have, you know, our car did not have a CD player. That was kind of, if you had a CD player in your car in 1991, that was, you were kind of cool. You were kind of rich and cool. Uh, we didn't have a Discman either with a little tape adapter. Um, Discman, I, I, I think so many Discman were around back then, but they probably costed a lot of money. They weren't something just some teenager could have, you know. So so we got the tape so we could listen to our car. And the CD. And the CDs, of course, came in those big, long CD boxes so, so no one could shove them in their pockets, whereas like just having a long box, which, you know, I guess kind of worked. I don't know. And speaking of the box... As you know, in our usual music reviews, our Too Many Notes music reviews, uh, we usually do uh, a pretty uh, detailed critique of the artwork of every album we do. So why not do this uh, 30 years later for Metallica, the Black Album? So there's the box. 
it's black. Um, it seems to have a, a sort of a faded out gray logo on the upper left hand corner and on the lower right hand corner, what seems to be a, a Gadsden snake. But otherwise, the album is all black. And it wasn't officially called the Black Album. It was just called self-titled. It was called Metallica. But it quickly earned the name Black Album, which stuck ever since. Now, when you open the sleeve of the CD or the tape, uh, besides all the info and the lyrics, um, there, there was an image of the band using uh, sort of a spot color gray over the black. Um, sort of, it wasn't like a gray, but maybe it was more of like a warmer gray with a little bit of small percentage of red and yellow in it. You know, as a color expert, I can give you the the numbers, the breakdown of the CMYK breakdown. Um, and images of their faces of the four band members, James, Jason, Kirk, and Lars. The first track, of course, was, was Enter Sandman. And, you know, we'd heard that a, a, a thousand times. But the second track, Sad But True, was this slow, tuned down, heavy song. And that was a huge departure. We're like, whoa, this is just slow. There was nothing really like that on Justice For All. And it was tuned down. The only time that Metallica ever tuned down before was with um, The Thing That Should Not Be. So Metallica wasn't really one of those bands that played with tuning. So this was something new for them. And that was like, whoa, that was that's different. And, you know, that was automatically kind of a favorite of ours because it was so kind of heavy for, for Metallica standards anyway. At the time, you know, we didn't we weren't familiar with doom music at the time. Really, that wasn't, you know, that wouldn't we wouldn't get into that until later. Third track, Holier Than Thou, which is still kind of a thrashy song for the Black Album. Now, by this, by 1991, Metallica was becoming less thrashy. Like, there was, the thrash was far turned down on the Black Album versus, say, like, Ride the Lightning or, or Bastard of Puppets. I mean, Metallica was never really a thrashy band the same way, like, Exodus was a thrashy band or the same, like, the way that, like, DRI is a thrashy band. You know, like, like Metallica and Megadeth aren't, aren't that thrashy. They have thrashy-like songs, but they're not generally that thrashy. And, you know, a lot of people call Metallica thrash, but you know, they're, they're, they only have a they have a number of thrashy songs. They're you know, it's not like Slayer or Exodus or 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 like a lot of Anthrax songs, you know, like like mid mid career Anthrax songs, like Among the Living and stuff. You know, it it wasn't you know they they were far they didn't have that street sound. They had a much bigger sort of more responsible sound, if you will, and a more sophisticated sound. So. You know, so Holier Down was kind of still kind of thrashy for them. It was simple and thrashy. And I was like, all right. But then, track four, where Metallica would usually reserve their ballads. They would usually put ballads on track four or five in all their albums. They had a system. Metallica was very stubborn. They were very rigid with their system. And that's where you'd put the ballad, the power ballad. And um, it was the Unforgiven. And only, I've never heard, we never heard, you know, the guitar sound, that sort of melodic guitar part. I never heard anything like that. And, and the singing, when, when they would sing the chorus, I was like, is that James Hetfield singing? Because we always knew James Hetfield with this kind of like a raspy kind of... Yeah, yeah. That, that, it, was, it was this gentle voice, and it was like, what the fuck? And we didn't hate the song. Like, maybe some hardcore Metallica fans heard that, and they were like, and they just shut it off and threw it across the room. But we were like, what is this? And I know, and of course, I loved it. I was like, this is cool. It almost sounded sort of like, almost like a spaghetti western kind of song, which I always kind of dug. Uh, so yeah, like that was a huge departure, and, and we were liking this album so far. Uh, you know, there wasn't any, there wasn't anything like we were so happy to have Metallica. Like so many, like hardcore, say like young Metallica fans at the time. Maybe the older, more bitter guys that have been listening since Kill 'Em All were like, "All right, I'm done with this band. That's it." You know, 
No, the real like, hardcore Metallica fans were done like by Ride the Lightning. You know, I, I know some older guys that are like, I was done by Ride the Lightning. That was it. You know, when I heard Snake and I heard Fade to Black. But as this album went on, you know, some songs were were uh, they were very different. Uh, Wherever I'm at, I May Roam, you know, starts with that sort of sitari kind of part, which is just whoa. That this is just a very different sound for them, and it, it was simple. There wasn't tons of complicated solos. Wasn't a lot of guitar like those thin Lizzy like guitar harmonies that they like to do. wasn't It wasn't like fifty different guitar parts going on. It was simple, and and I kind of like that about it. You know, it wasn't like load simple yet. We weren't there yet, but you know, it was it's on its way to there. But you know, it's very bluesy in a way. Metallica kind of has this chord progression between A minor and E minor, and they kind of just go back and forth, which is a really, as a musician, it's a really bad habit to get into following that because your your music. Your musical writing abilities become so limited if you're just following that A to E minor metal transition. You know, you got to move beyond that. Metallica, really, I think they pollute a lot of people's musical ability when they try to mimic Metallica because you're kind of stuck in those two chords and it's not a good place to be, uh, I think. Um, it, it's a bad habit to get into. It works for Metallica because they, they kind of sort of pioneered that, but... You know, I think it really limits you. If you if you get Metallica in your muscle memory, it, it ruins your guitar playing. That's just me, though. If you like that kind of thing, I guess it works for you. But enough with that rant. Um, as the songs went on, you know, Through the Never, which is a little bit thrashy kind of, too. Um, then another ballad, Nothing Else Matters. Have you heard of... I never... You know, Metallica had done sort of powery ballads before, Fade to Black and stuff, but Nothing Else Matters. It's almost like a love song, almost. And I was like, what? Metallica has feelings? What the fuck? And we didn't hate it. You know, we were like, whoa, this is just... You know, as the album went on, uh, Wolf and Man, which is, you know, a very Kirk Hammett kind of song, horror movie kind of song, which he likes. Um, uh, the God That Failed. Um, you know, starts kind of with a bass part. And then, uh, you know, which is like, well, you can, they're letting Jason Newstead start songs. And then My Friend in Misery, where he has that sort of more complicated, arpeggi- arpeggiated kind of bass intro. And it's like, whoa, they're going to let Jason Newstead do things and stuff? Wow, that's amazing. You couldn't even hear him on Justice for All. He wasn't even there. Now he's like starting off songs. So, and then uh, Struggle Within, which is, you know, kind of like a, I don't know, that, was, that wasn't one of the best songs. You know, the, song had, the, the album had hits and misses, but for the most part, uh, as the years went on, there was almost a video for almost every song on this album. And of course, the tour from this album, if you remember, the Black Album tour just went on for, it must have went on for like five years. It just never ended. And I think it, it put Metallica on the absolute mainstream because they just became so popular. Everyone would go to these concerts and also really just, made them it kind of like took them out of their sense of reality as well because they just became super wealthy rock stars after after this and you know i think they just never landed i mean eventually they would kind of learn you know and kind of find some ground the ground was a lot higher than our ground but you know they they would never be just normal people ever again after the black album they they would never come back from that you know it probably made it probably just accelerated James Hetfield's drinking problems to to legendary levels. You know, probably made Lars do all kinds of extra cocaine, and you know, because just this fame. Like, you, how can you handle it? You know, how would you handle this fame? Would you just handle it normally? I don't think so. These are just normal guys. Suddenly, they have rock star like Led Zeppelin like fame. I mean, you know, hotel room smashing fame. So, what do you? How do you even handle this? Right? So yes, this album was a huge departure in Metallica's sound. That was very clear to us. Um, so that was my experience um, when the Black Album came out. It, it was it was something I never I could never forget, even though it was so long ago in 1991. It's something that changed 
my mental life, my existence and my, 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 um, metal in my life. You know, this is how, this is how it really affected me. This is how, uh, it really shaped my life in my whole metal career. It hasn't changed since then. I've, you know, over the years I had gotten, you know, in and out of metal, but it was always there. And it was always because of really that day in 1991. Um, I would of course grow up after that, you know, as the years went on, my brother, like I said, my brother was getting into more forms of more like less mainstream kind of metal bands. And he of course introduced me to bands like Merciful Fate, which was of course one of my favorite bands, you know, the King Diamond. To bands like um, Guar, which which you know that was real department. You know, I was like, whoa, what is this? This is crazy shit, you know. And I wasn't, of course, by that point, I wasn't scared of bands anymore. So I was, I was like, give me the hardest stuff you got. You know, bands like Carcass, bands like Trouble, bands like Candlemass. You know, my brother introduced me to all that. You know, Typo Negative, Carnivore. These are bands that really shaped my next phase in metal. By that time, by the mid or late '90s, you know, I didn't want to hear Metallica anymore. You know, I'd seen them a couple of times in concert, and I didn't want anything to do with them anymore. They were, you know, they were supposedly coming out with this double album, and I couldn't give a fuck, you know. And when, of course, Load came out, I heard it, and I was like, whoa. I was like, whoa. I was like, yeah, okay, I'm done. I, I don't even care. I don't, I don't care that they cut their hair. I don't care that they're make. They sound like Nickelback now. I don't care. I don't, um, you know, the '90s were, you know, it changed a lot of things in metal. You know, for, like I said, Thrash was kind of on its way out by the mid '90s. Um, like after the Clash of the Titans tour, I think Thrash was really asleep after that in the mainstream. Anyway, because Thrash was pretty much mainstream by the early '90s, and it was gone. I mean, no one wanted anything to do with Thrash anymore. You know, bands like Typo Negative are out. You know, things like that. You know, of course, Pantera was out, which I never got into. I never got into Pantera back then. It just wasn't for me. Um, but that was what in the, that was the mainstream of metal at the time. It was you know, it turned into Pantera. And you know bands like Meg the Big Four, you know, Slayer, Megadeth, uh, Metallica, and uh, and and Anthrax were kind of you know they weren't they weren't doing that well. Metallica was obviously doing the best still. Obviously their tours were still pretty big, but you know the rest of them were not. The rest of the the three out of four were not really doing that well. They were kind of struggling. And Metallica, in a way, for their for their abilities, they were kind of struggling. You know, Load was Load gained them and lost them a lot of fans at the same time. I remember my friends who were extreme Metallica fans they know who they are if they're listening um, I'll never forget this they um, I always tell this story um, they were members I mean they were far bigger Metallica fans than I ever was and that's how I became friends with them in high school early in high school I met them and I was like well you, you know I was wearing a Metallica shirt one day and, and they were like you're into Metallica and I was like yeah kind of I was like yeah kind of you know I was kind of getting out of it back then but it was on my way down my Metallica high was on its way down but um, they um, when they had heard Load, they um, were so um, disturbed by it. They were so disappointed that Metallica had cut their hair and they'd, they'd seen the, the Till It Sleeps video and, and, and the sound of it. They they burnt their... Um, but one of them did. He burnt his Metallica membership card and sent it back. I thought that was... Even at you know the age of like 17 or whatever, I was like, what is, what is wrong with this? Does it, that doesn't matter. But yeah, they were, like, they were in mourning like if somebody died when they heard Load. Me, I didn't. I didn't listen. To, I didn't give a fuck about it. Though I do remember, um, the internet was kind of becoming a thing. There were like websites, and I remember hearing this new Metallica song was come out, and I, and I didn't care. I just wanted to hear it because I wanted to hear how bad it could have been. So I remember finding um, a download of Metallica playing, um, like it was two by four, uh, 
live and it was kind of like this you know this song that they would kind of start playing during the black album tour you know, this is what's going to be on the next album and i found it and i remember showing it to everyone and i remember they were kind of like disappointed by it when i showed them the, the the live recording of it i was like here listen to this this is metallica's new song and they, you know they were already kind of like ah this is this doesn't sound this sounds very disappointing and then of course when the album came out they were very disappointed and you know like i said i didn't give a fuck i was going to carnivore I was going to carnivore reunion shows at that time. I was seeing Merciful Fate at small fucking clubs in New Jersey back then. Uh, imagine that, you know. Merciful Fate was, you know, supposed to headline Psycho this year. You know, hopefully next year they will. But, you know, back then I saw them on small stages at the Wetlands or or at Studio One in New Jersey. And uh, no one gave a fuck. And those were the good old days, you know. That metal is just what it was back then because it was hardly an internet to really prop it up. You kind of just had to know about it. You know, and Metallica's really ultimate downfall was when they came out with um, um, the St. Anger album, of course, and you saw, of course, the Some Kind of Monster movie, and that, that's, like, movie is so, like, kind of hard to watch that it seems almost staged almost how, like, how they are with each other and how, what the conflicts are in the band. It almost seems like it's staged, right? Like, it's like, how could they have, re- you know, can they really be reacting this way to each other? And that was, to me, like, the lowest point of, of this band. It's like, oh, they're... When I saw that, I was like, oh, they're going to be... That's it. They're broken up. That's it. They're, they're done. And, of course, it was, like, another eight years till they came out with Death Magnetic, and that was, like, they're back. You know, I think Rick Rubin had done that album. And usually when Rick Rubin does your album, it's, like, sort of your comeback album. So um, it was like, whoa, this is, you know, this is... They're kind of back in a way. I mean, the music isn't, you know, it's not like like, whoa, but, you know, all the Metallica fans were happy again. They were like, oh, yeah, this is good. And I remember seeing them on tour. And um, actually having enough money to be up front now, you know, now I could like, <laughs> I can afford to like be in the front row now. And uh, and I remember seeing them and just being amazed how positive James Hetfield was, how he wasn't a drunken, uh, vulgar, vulgar uh, truck driver up there. Like he had been in the Black, I'd seen the Black Album tour like many times as they toured so long. I must have seen it three or four times on that tour. And I remember just what a horrible, cursing person James Hetfield was up there. He was just angry and fuck you and drinking and, you know, every other word out of my mouth was fuck. Uh, but now he was like, hey, I want you all to feel good. Do you all feel good? And I was like, whoa, what happened to this guy? He, why is he so positive? It's, it's kind of freaking me out. But, you know, he's off the alcohol. And that's what happens when you, you find God, I guess. And, and you know. Like even James Hetfield was nice now, so it was that was kind of funny, but so yeah, so that was you know that's my I went on a little bit of a rant there, but that's uh, my experience with the iconic uh, Black Album, which came out thirty years ago this week. So yes, I know you all feel old, and I want you to tell me about your experience with this album or any album that came out fucking thirty years ago. There's a lot of albums that came out thirty years ago, you know, and and how what it still means to you. And, um, like, to me, will I listen to the Black Album now? If I'm going to listen to a Metallic album, it's probably not going to be that one. That one's... I look back, and that album's kind of... doesn't have that effect on me. It doesn't have that excitement on me. It's kind of boring, in a way. You know, it's not... It, it, it didn't age well with me. With some people, it's, you know, obviously forever. But it didn't age well with me. So, that is my experience with that album. I hope you all enjoyed my little rant here about an experience about a day, about a, a day in history that shaped my life in metal and why I'm here today um, giving you the Here Lies Metal podcast. It's all because of this day, really. It really is. So so thank you for watching. And uh, comment down below if you, you know if anything in here, you have any questions or you have any comments and you know any any hateful comments that you usually have. But how can you, know, how can you hate this video? I'm, I, I'm not trying to offend anyone in this video. So, you know, I know when I do the news, some of you guys, you know, like, you kind of get really... Um, 
I talk about like I, I might like mention some sort of controversial subject about like the guy from Ice Earth being in jail, which is just hilarious. But uh, you know that offends some people for some reason, even though the guy broke broke the law. So yeah. Anyway, but uh, yeah, comment down below and tell me about your experience with this. Um, and uh, so yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, find us on social media, including Twitter at Here Lies Metal, Facebook at Here Lies Metal, uh, Instagram Metal Lies Here, and uh, give us an, uh, give us a shout out on Gmail, Here Lies Metal at Gmail dot com. And uh, make sure to hit that subscribe button as you do, and hit that thumbs up so it uh, improves our algorithm as they say. So thanks for listening, and um, we'll see you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>